saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. He said, you used to be in bondage. I like how he calls Egypt the house of bondage. He said, you used to, your house used to be bondage. Where you live used to be bondage. Verse 9, And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drave them out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, here's point number 2 of the prophet, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land he dwells. He said, he's, this is what the prophet saying. He's saying, God brought you out of Egypt. God brought you out of bondage. God gave you this land. He gave you everything you could want. He told you not to worship the, the kings of the Amorites. Now notice this conclusion. Last part of verse 10. But ye have not obeyed my voice. The prophet pretty much shows up and says, you're getting exactly what you deserve. Because you refuse to obey God. You refuse to do what He told you to do. God gave you everything you could have ever wanted. He brought you out of bondage. He gave you this land. You refuse to obey Him. You are getting exactly what you deserve. Does that sound like a positive sermon to you? Well... Joel Osteen said, well, I just consider myself a life coach. I'm just trying to help people feel better about themselves and encourage them. That, that's not a very encouraging sermon. And the guy shows up and says, you know all the problems you have? It's your fault, not God's fault. And then he leaves. It's interesting. Verse 11. The prophet comes in and gives him a very discouraging rebuke. But notice, God not only sends a prophet, verse 11, the Bible says, and there came an angel of the Lord. And I want you to notice a few things. The Bible says there came an angel of the Lord. Now, you can decide, you know, it, it's up to it, it doesn't matter to me how you feel about it, but some people believe that the, the reference the angel of the Lord is not just an angel like you and I would think of, but the reference of the angel of the Lord there is a reference to a pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. That may or may not be true. There's definitely some evidence as to why uh, that could be so. But the Bible says there, And there came an angel of the Lord, and sat under the oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertaineth unto Joash, the Abizarite, and his son Gideon, that's who we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks, Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress, now notice what he was doing, to hide it from the Midianites. So here you got Gideon, and he's threshing wheat, he's preparing the wheat so that they can eat it, but he's doing it in hiding because he doesn't want the Midianites to know that he's got food. Why? Because the Midians have been coming and taking their sustenance. They've been taking their food. So he's in hiding, doing this work, trying to do it secretly so that they don't know about him. Now I want you to see point number one this, uh, tonight is this. How things are seen. How things are seen. First of all, we see how God sees Gideon. Now notice, he says, he, he, the, the context of the story is this. The Midianites are taking everything. Gideon is hiding. He's threshing the wheat. He's doing it in hiding, trying to uh, uh, keep it from the Midianites. Look at the last part of verse 11. To hide it from the Midianites. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, and said unto him, notice what he said, The Lord is with thee. The mighty man of valor. Now, I don't know about you, but it's kind of interesting that the angel Lord would say to Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor when the guy is in hiding. You understand what I'm saying? He's hiding from his enemies. He's scared of his enemies. He doesn't want his enemies to know that he's threshing. He's in hiding, doing something secretly, trying to get it done quickly so nobody finds out. 
Interesting thing. Look at verse 13. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then has all this befallen us? And where be all those miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Verse 14. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Notice what he said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Now I want you to notice something, okay? The angel of the Lord, which the Bible refers to there as the Lord, says to Gideon, he says, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon says a few things. We see that in verse 12. The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Verse 13, Gideon gives his response. Verse 14, he says, Go in this thy might. Now he says, Go in this thy might. Okay, What might? What have we seen here that you and I would look at as might? Do you understand what I'm saying? He says, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon gives a lot of excuses. Well, well if God is with us, then why is this happening? And why are we going through this? And why is this? Complaining about his situation. And then the angel of the Lord says, Go in this thy might. And i got to ask the question, What might? What are you seeing that we're missing? I want you to notice something. Take your Bible and go with me to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter number 1. Joshua chapter number 1. In the Bible, whenever you're studying Scripture, if you have a question about something, the best way to study it out is to look up that phrase or look up that word every time it comes up in Scripture. Oftentimes, the Bible, there's something that people like to call the law of first mention. That's not mentioned in the Bible, but people call it. And what that means is, whenever the Bible mentions a word or a phrase for the first time, oftentimes God tells us what He wants us to know about that phrase in that first mention. And if He doesn't, then you can continue to study it out and it will become clear. For example, the first time the word Egypt is mentioned in the Bible, it's a negative thing. You're going down into Egypt. You're going down into bondage. But throughout the rest of Scripture, guess what? Egypt is never talked about in a positive light. It's always negative. It always represents the world. So I saw this phrase, thou mighty man of valor, and I thought to myself, well, I don't know what the angel of the Lord is seeing in Gideon. I thought, well, why don't we look up that phrase, and let's study that phrase out and see what he's talking about. And when I went to the very first reference, I saw something very interesting. Right there in Judges chapter, I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 1, look at verse 14. Judges 1.14, you find the first time this phrase is used in the Bible, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 14, the Bible says, Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of Jordan. Now, I don't have time to develop this, but if you remember from when we went through the book of Exodus, and if you remember from when we went through the book of Joshua, remember when they were in the wilderness, the children of Israel won a few battles and actually possessed some land. While Moses was leading them, they possessed certain lands on this side of Jordan. Remember when Moses died and Joshua became the leader, they then crossed the Jordan River and they possessed the rest of Canaan land. But they had some possessions from the other side of Jordan, which Moses had given to two and a half of the tribes. Before Moses died, he told those tribes, which is the verse we're looking at, he said, your children can stay on this side of Jordan because this is your possession. 
But you need to go with the children of Israel and cross the Jordan and you got to help them fight and get their possession because just because you got your possession now doesn't mean you leave them to do their own. He says you got to help them as well. Are you following what I'm saying? Look at verse 14, Joshua 1, 14. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side, Jordan. Are you following what I'm saying? Look at the last part of verse 14. But ye, talking to the men, shall pass before your brethren armed, notice what he says, all the mighty men of valor and help them. You see that? Now God uses this phrase in Joshua... And he says, whoever is a mighty man of valor is going to cross the Jordan River and he's going to help his brethren possess their land. I know you have your land already. Your wives and your children and your cattle and your little ones, they can stay on that side. But if you're a mighty man of valor, you're going to cross the Jordan and you're going to help your brethren possess their land. Now when you, get back, when you go back to Judges, you find God calling Gideon a mighty man of valor. Now what did we learn from Joshua that is a mighty man of valor? A mighty man of valor is not just a soldier. A mighty man of valor is a soldier who is interested in not just his own satisfaction, not just his own possession. He says, I have my possession, but I'm a mighty man of valor, so I'm going to go help someone else possess their land. Now you say, well why did God call Gideon a mighty man of valor? Look at verse 12 again, Judges chapter 6, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee. Do you see that word thee there? By the way, this is why you need a King James Bible. Because the King James Bible is the only Bible that differentiates between the words thee and thou and he and you. See, the new versions today only use the modern English, which is, which is actually a, a less efficient English than the English. Look, English... Since the time of the King James Bible, or Shakespeare, 1600s, it's only gone down. Not, it's, it's gotten worse, not better. Do you understand that? When Shakespeare was writing his plays, and when the King James Bible was being translated, that was the pinnacle of the English language. That's why God ordained for our King James Bible to be translated at the pinnacle of the language, when it would be the most efficient and effective today to translate a Bible using today's language just makes it worse. You say, prove that. I can prove it to you right now. Today, you and I do not use the word thee or thou. We use the word you. Now, here's the thing. I can say, hey, you go do this, talking to one person. Or I can say, hey, you guys do this, talking to plural, to a lot of people. We use the same word for singular or plural, you. Our King James Bible does not. Our King James Bible, when, the word, when it uses the word thee or thou, that's talking to one individual. When it uses the word you or ye, that's talking to a group. Our Bible differentiates that for us. So when we get into, go ye, therefore, and call the world, we know God speaking to everyone, not just His disciples. And here you see God say to Gideon, look at verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee. Do you see that? Singular. The Lord is with thee, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. Now notice Gideon's response, because God just told him, I'm with you, singular, with thee, Gideon. But notice Gideon's response, verse 13. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with me. Is that what he said? What he say? O my Lord, 
If the Lord be with us. If you don't, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, I'd, I'd circle that word us. He says, Oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? You see that? I'd circle that. And where be all His miracles which our, you see that? Which our fathers, I circle that word our, told us, I circle that word us, of, saying, did not the Lord bring us, you see that word us there, up from Egypt, but now the Lord hath forsaken us, you see that word us there, and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. God says to Gideon, hey, I'm with thee, singular. And Gideon says, well, if the Lord is with us, and, he's, and he says, us, us, our, us, 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 us. You know why Gideon was a mighty man of valor? Because like those men in the book of Joshua, he wasn't interested in himself, he was interested in other people. He said, I'm with you, Gideon, thee. And he said, I want you to be with us. And then God responds, because he's saying, us, us, our, us, us, us. Verse 14, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. What's your might, Gideon? The fact that you think of others? What's your might, Gideon? The fact that you're concerned with others? What are you doing, Gideon? I'm threshing this wheat. Why? Probably so I can help others. So I can feed others. So that my family doesn't starve. And God says, the Lord, verse 14, looked upon him and said, God, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? So you see how God sees Gideon. How does God see Gideon? As a mighty man of valor. Well, Gideon has issues with self-esteem. We'll see that. Gideon's not very tough. Gideon's afraid a lot. Gideon has a lot of fear. God said, that's okay. He's concerned with others and that's all I need. And let me tell you something. If you're going to be the type of Christian that God's going to be able to use, you're going to have to be the type of Christian that is concerned with other people. The problem with our society today is that so many times people are just concerned with themselves. You ever talk to somebody and all they do is talk about themselves? What they're going through, what they're dealing with. Never concerned about anybody else. Look, the type of people that God is looking for is the people that are concerned with others. The Bible says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. You know what's the difference between someone that will go out, knock on the door of a perfect stranger, and give the gospel to a perfect stranger, and and you say, well, they're going to think I'm weird, they're going to slam the door, they're going to think I'm odd, they're going to think I'm a Jehovah's Witness. Why would somebody do that? Somebody would only do that if they were concerned with others. Where they're going to spend eternity. Someone who's concerned with how I look, well, I'm going to look like a weirdo. See, that's your problem. You're concerned with yourself. Gideon's hiding. Gideon's afraid. Gideon has no self-esteem. Gideon has no confidence. But you know what he does have? A love for others. And God says, I'm with thee, Gideon. And he says, well, what about us? What about about our country? What about our land? What about our people? And God says, I like that, Gideon. Go in this thy might, thou mighty man of valor. You see how God sees Gideon. But not only do we see how God sees Gideon, we also see how Gideon sees himself. Look at verse 15. How does God see Gideon? As a mighty man of valor. How does Gideon see himself? Look at verse 15. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith, that word wherewith means with what or by what means shall I save Israel? Gideon says, well how in the world am I supposed to save Israel? Notice what he says. Notice how Gideon sees himself. Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. He says, look, I come from a poor, poor family, and in the poor family, 
He said, I'm, I'm not doing very good in life. He said, I, I don't think of you, I don't, where with will I say, well, how am I going to do this? How do you expect me to do this, God? Now here's what I like. Here's what's interesting. Look at verse 6. The Lord heard him say that, right? What do you say? Wherewith will I save Israel? He said, My family's poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And verse 16, And the Lord said unto him, You're a good person, Gideon. Is that what he said? Gideon, just believe in yourself. You'll be able to get it done. Is that what he said? Notice, Gideon doesn't get a pep talk from God. No encouraging words there. Gideon says, I'm poor. God says, I know. Gideon says, I'm the least to my family. God says, yeah, Gideon, I know, trust me. He doesn't try to say, well, no, Gideon, you don't understand. You're better than, you're better than you think. You're stronger than you believe. You're this and that. He doesn't try to, look, God is not into psychology. God is not one of these, you know, uh, uh, the power of positive thinking. That's not God. Notice how God responds. Gideon says, my family is poor. I'm the least in the, my father's house. The Lord is God's response. Verse 16, and the Lord said unto him, so God heard his his uh, complaining. God heard his uh, cry there. He says, I'm poor. He says, I'm the least. And God's response is this, surely I will be with thee. God doesn't try to tell Gideon, no Gideon, you're better than you think. You're smarter than you think. You can do it. Just think positively. God says, I know you're poor. He says, I know you're the least. He says, I know you're weak. But here's what you got going for you. I'm with you. That's what God said. Verse 16, And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. And thou shalt smite the Midianites. That's one man. So you got to understand that. He said, I want to be used to God. Like Gideon. Gideon's probably one of the most famous judges in the book of Judges. Other than Samson, I'd probably say he's the second most popular judge in, in, in the book of Judges. I want to be used like Gideon. To be used of God, you have to have a concern with others. And to be used of God, you've got to realize that you are not bringing anything to the table. God doesn't need you. God is not in need of you. What makes you great, what makes me great, what what allows God to use us when we get someone saved, it's God working through us. It's not our presentation. It's not our talent. It's not our skill. It's not that we've got this and we've got that and we've got all these things to offer God. You've got nothing to offer God. God uses you because you're willing to be used of Him. Gideon says, I've got nothing. God says, I need nothing. So you're perfect. Gideon says, I got nothing to offer. And he says, oh, well, you got something to offer, the fact that I'm with you. All you need is God. You don't need it. I don't know how, you know, some of you, I, I was thinking of doing that team solo, but I don't think I can do it. You can't do it, but God can do it through you. Yes. I was thinking of doing that tithing thing that Pastor was talking about, but I don't know if I can do it. You cannot do it, but God can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see how Gideon, how God sees Gideon as a mighty man of valor. You see how Gideon sees himself as a poor and the least in his father's house. But God says, hey, don't worry about that. I'm with you. We transition from verse 16 to 17. First we see how they saw each other. How God saw Gideon. How Gideon saw himself. But in verse 17, you begin to see something different. You begin to see a series of God and Gideon proving each other. Now notice what it says. Look at verse 17. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, so this is Gideon speaking to the angel, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. The angel is sitting there talking to Gideon, and Gideon says, Well, show me a sign that proves that you're talking to me. 
Now, I've heard a lot of people in my lifetime, as I've heard people preach out of Gideon, about Gideon, I've heard a lot of people just rail on Gideon. And Gideon has a lack of faith, and Gideon doesn't know what he's talking about, and Gideon kept asking for this, he kept asking for that, he kept asking for the fleece to get wet, he kept asking for all these things, and Gideon didn't have any faith. Now, I, I, I would disagree, and I'm going to show you why I would disagree with that, but I want you to notice, so keep your finger there in Judges, go to the book of, uh, let's see what I want you, go to First uh, John. Did I not write it in my notes? Good night. First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4 in your New Testament. You gotta understand this. Gideon did not have a Bible like you and I have a Bible. And Gideon was asking the angel to prove himself because Gideon wanted to make sure that he wasn't getting tricked by someone. And if you're there in first John chapter number four, look at verse number one. 1 John chapter number 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. Now when we go through our spiritual warfare series on Sunday mornings in a couple weeks, we're going to be studying angels, we're going to be studying demons, we're going to be studying Satan, we're going to be studying the spiritual warfare, the battle we're in when we do that series in a couple weeks. Okay? And as we study angels, you'll see that an angel is a spirit. Here you have the angel Lord appearing to Gideon. You got a spirit appearing to Gideon. Verse 1, 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Just because something's spiritual doesn't mean you ought to believe it. Just because something feels, well, it feels like Christianity, it feels spiritual, it feels like the spirit. What spirit is it? The Bible says, believe, beloved, believe not every spirit. But notice what you're supposed to do. But try. The word try means to prove or test. He says, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now you and I try the spirits, you can go back to Judges, by looking at Scripture. So somebody says, uh, you know, let me teach you this doctrine. You match that up against the Scripture, and if it aligns itself with Scripture, then it's of God. And if it doesn't align itself with Scripture, then it's not of God. Gideon didn't have a Bible like you and I have, so he asked God to give him a sign. The Bible says the Jews require a sign. And I would submit to you that you don't really see God getting upset at Gideon either. Gideon asked for a sign. Every time Gideon asked for a sign, God gave him a sign. I don't think we should beat up on Gideon because he's trying to make sure that he's not getting tricked by someone, by a false prophet or a false spirit. Gideon, Gideon is concerned with other people, but he's also concerned that he's following the God of the Bible. He wants to make sure he doesn't get himself wrapped up in something that's not of God. So in verse 17, Judges 6.17, And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. So Gideon asked the angel for a sign. Verse 18, Gideon says to the angel, Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. So he said, Gideon says to the angel, Don't leave. I'm going to go bring a present. Don't leave. Stay right here. The angel says, okay, I'll be right here. Don't worry. Verse 19. And Gideon went in. Now notice what he did. Verse 19. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and eleven cakes of an ephah, a flour, and flesh he put in a basket. And he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. Now, that, doesn't that sound like a pretty good meal? I mean, he got ready a kid, eleven cakes. You got, you got, you know, lamb there. You got some biscuits, leaven cake of ephah, a flour, the flesh he put in a basket, so he puts it in a, in a nice basket with some biscuits, he put the broth in a pot, he brings him some soup with his meal, that sounds like a pretty good meal. I don't know how long it took Gideon to get this ready, 
But I'm sure it took him longer than it took me to read verse 19. He said, you stay here. You stay here. I'm going to go get something. He goes in there. Gets the kid. I mean, he didn't run down to Albertsons. I mean, he had to go get a kid. He probably had to kill it. Had to get it all ready. Got it all ready. Gets his meal ready. Brings it out. Presents it. Now notice verse 20. Okay. Now you got to keep in mind. Gideon asked the angel for a sign, right? Gideon asked the angel to prove himself. Now real quickly, the angel's going to prove Gideon before he proves himself to Gideon. So how does he do that? Look at verse 20. And the angel of God said unto him. Gideon comes out with this meal and he says, Look what I got ready for you. I got lamb chops. I've got some biscuits. I've got this soup here. He says, This is going to be a delicious meal. Verse 20. And the angel of God said unto him. Notice what the angel says. Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock. He says, you know that meat you brought me? You know those biscuits? Put that on that rock. I'm sure Gideon was thinking to himself, wait a minute. This took me a long time to get ready. You want to put it on that dirty rock? Are you going to eat it off that rock? You know what I mean? I mean, he's like, what, 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 are you, what are you doing? Look at verse 20. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the element cakes and lay them upon this rock. Notice what he says. Take that soup and pour out the broth. He says, pour it out. Put it in the trap. Put it on the ground. Now notice Gideon's response. You don't understand how long it took me to get this meal ready. I'm not going to just put it there. Wait, that's a waste of food. You want me to just put it on that rock? You want me to just pour it out? Notice Gideon's response. And he did so. Do you see that? What was the test? The test was this. Sometimes, when God's going to use you, God has to know that you will be willing to do something that seemingly looks like a waste. So what are you talking about? You may go into the full-time ministry, and someone's going to say, you're going to go waste your life trying to reach people? Don't you know you can make money? Some of you ladies are going to decide, well, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to raise my kids. And some, some uh, you know, short-haired woman is going to walk up to you and say, uh, no, some Hillary Clinton is going, well, you, can, you don't have to stay home and raise your kids. That's a waste. And God says, well, are you willing to waste your life? Are you willing to give yourself? That's what a sacrifice is. It's a sacrifice. Notice what he does with it. Look at verse 21. Then the angel Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand. And touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Notice the miracle. And there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh, burnt it all up, and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. He completely consumed it. See, that's what it, see, the angel of the Lord wasn't as interested in the meal that was presented to him. He wanted to know is Gideon going to be willing to lay down his life a living sacrifice? Well, if he's not willing to lay down this meal, I'm sure he won't be willing to lay down his life. He says, Gideon, pour that in the ground. Pour that on the rock. Get rid of it. Gideon says, okay, here you go. See, Gideon had this attitude. It's not about me. Not about my life. The Lord's with me. What about us? The Lord's with me. What about my people? He said, it's not about me. You want me to make a meal? I'll make a meal. You want me to pour it on the ground? I'll pour it on the ground. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You know why God won't use you and I? Because God says, hey, do this. Well, why do I got to do that? God says, hey, uh, I'd like you to pour that out. Well, why, well that's, a, that's a waste. That's a waste right there. Gideon, no back talk, no questioning. The Bible simply says, you should underline that in verse 20, the last four words of verse 20, and he did so. 
reminds me of when God told Abraham, I want you to go up and I want you to sacrifice your son. And the Bible says that Abraham got up early in the morning and went off to sacrifice his son. No questioning God. Just, okay, good. You, what do you want, God? Yes, sir, God. You want me to pour it out, God? Yes, sir, God. You want me to go to the mission field, God? I'll go. You want me to preach, God? I'll go. You want me to go soul winning, God? I'll go. You want whatever you want me to do, God? I'll do it. Just let, tell me what you want me to do. The world may look at it as a waste, but when it's a sacrifice to God, I'll do it. That's what made Gideon so great. That's why he was a mighty man of valor. And then, of course, the angel gave him a sign. He made rock come out of a rock. I mean, I'm sorry, rock come out of a rock. Fire, flame, come out of a rock. That's a pretty good sign. I think it's funny because Gideon says to the angel, prove to me that you're talking to me. And he says, okay. He makes fire, then he disappears. <laughs> He's like, you want proof that I'm talking to you? I'll go away. Look at the last part of verse 21. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived, verse 22, that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Ophrah of the Ibezrites. Now I want you to notice in verse 25, okay, we had Gideon proving the angel, right? He says, show me a sign. You have the angel proving Gideon. He says, pour out your food then. That was round one. In verse 25, we begin round two. There's a little bit more of proving that has to be done. Now this time, God gets the head start. Because God says, Gideon, I know you're going to want to prove me again, so let me just get mine out of the way before I get yours out of the way. Look at verse 25. And it came to pass... The same night, so he meets with the angel of the Lord during the day, and that night, verse 25, and it came to pass the same night, that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. Now, Baal was a false god. In fact, Baal in the Old Testament is a short word for Baal-zeba or Beelzeba. It's literally Satan worship. And here you have this altar of Baal. You say, what does the altar of Baal represent? Well, it represents a couple of things. You'll see it as we get in the context. But the altar of Baal represents something that is... Obviously, without exception, wrong. Yet, it was accepted by their society. God had told them not to worship their God. Remember what the prophet said? Remember, uh, look at verse uh, 10, same chapter. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But ye have not obeyed my voice. God told them, don't worship the gods of the Amorites. of the Amorites, don't worship their God, don't worship their statues, don't worship, they knew they weren't supposed to do it, but yet they put up, in fact, it was Gideon's dad, who put up the altar to Baal there, and the entire society just said, oh, it's okay, no big deal. They accepted it. And you know what God says? God says to Gideon, I'm going to prove you, Gideon. He says, Gideon, you had a test for me, I have a test for you. He says, I want you to throw down the altar of Baal. That thy father hath. Now you understand this. The altar represents wrong that is accepted by the society. I can think of a few altar of Baals that we have in America today. 
I can think of a few things that the Bible specifically tells us are wrong, yet our society has just accepted. It's just the norm. You say, what are you talking about? What about the sodomites? The Bible is very clear that sodomy is a sin. The Bible is very clear that homosexuality is wrong. The Bible is very clear that it is worthy of death. It is an abomination. But you know, today we have an altar bail set up to the sodomites, and today, you know, it's like the elephant in the room. Every normal person knows it's weird. Amen. Every normal person knows it's, it's, it's not normal, yet nobody says anything. Everybody just walks by the altar. There it is. There's the altar bail. You just accept it by society. You know what God expects from you and I? You say, I want to be used to God like Gideon. You know what God expects from you? To throw down the altar of Baal. You know what God wants from Verity Baptist? You know, the world may accept sodomy. The world may accept the queers. The world may accept it and say, oh, it's normal. Oh, it's natural. They were born that way. But you know, at Verity Baptist Church, we ought to stand up and say, hey, I'm going to throw down that altar of Baal. It's not accepted here. It's not normal here. It's not socially acceptable around here. That's what God told Gideon to do. People look at us and say, well, you guys are just hateful. Where did you get the idea that preaching against false religion and false doctrine is hateful? God tells Gideon to throw down that altar. God tells Gideon to to put it on the ground. He says, destroy it. We've got all all sorts of altars of Baal today. Altar of Baal of divorce. Today, Christian divorce is is the same rate as the worldly divorce. And today you stand up and preach against the Lord. I can't believe he's preaching against the Lord. The Bible says that God hates putting away. The Bible says that God hates divorce. And you can come up with all your excuses. Well, why? I'm going to get, I I got grounds for divorce. There is no such thing as grounds for divorce. When you stood before God at an altar and you said that you were going to marry that person, you said for better or worst. See, the problem is you meant the better, you didn't mean the worst. What you didn't mean, you just said, till death do us part. But today you stand up and you say, hey, there's that altar veil of divorce. Let me throw that out. You, say, you are so mean. You are so negative. You are so hateful. But God says, throw down that altar. He says it is accepted by society. Society thinks it's normal. Abortion is an altar to bail today. Amen. You stand up and you say, abortion is wrong. Abortion is murder. Life begins at conception. That's what the Bible says. And you stand up and you say, that guy's a radical. That guy's a fanatic. I can't believe you're saying that. Hey, just because the entire world has accepted it as normal, doesn't make it normal. We ought to throw down that altar. Amen. We ought to stand up and say, hey, no, that's wrong. The Bible says it's wrong. The Bible says it's sin. The Bible says it's not right. Hey, God says to Gideon, throw down that altar. That's a negative thing. You say, do you really understand how negative it is to throw down an altar? Why don't ten of you guys go with me tonight? We'll go find some Catholic church down the street. And go find their altar to the Queen of Heaven. And let's put that thing on the ground and see what their reaction is next tomorrow morning. Well, we don't worship the idol, really. When you throw it on the ground, you'll see that you do worship that idol. They'll be all up in arms about it. I somebody put our crown. I thought you didn't worship it. This is a pretty offensive thing for getting to do. To throw down the altar, to put it on the ground. But you know what? Not only does the altar of Baal represent sin that society has accepted, the altar of Baal represents sin in the home of Gideon. Notice where the altar was. Look at verse 25. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of the seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal. Where is it? That thy father hath. 
Do you see that? It was in Gideon's that house. And cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place. And take the second bullet and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. See, not only does the altar of Baal represent sin that society has accepted, the altar of Baal represented sin in the house of Gideon. Gideon's dad had that altar of Baal. And you know what God said? He said, Gideon, listen, i got to prove you. He said, I want you to get rid of that altar in your dad's house. Now here's what's interesting to me. The most famous story that Gideon is known for is not found in chapter 6. The famous story that Gideon is known for, if you talk to most people, you said, hey, what do you know about Gideon? They would refer to Gideon's 300 men. When they went and fought the Midianites and they won that battle, remember they yelled, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now here's the interesting thing. We're going to get to that story next week, chapter 7. But you don't get to chapter 7 where God is using Gideon in a mighty way Till you first deal with chapter 6, where Gideon is getting rid of Baal in his life. So you got to understand, you say, I want to be used to God. Sometimes you got to get the sin out of your life. Sometimes before God can use you in chapter 7 in a mighty and wonderful way, you got to deal with the altar of Baals in your life in chapter 6. But God says, I want to use you in chapter 7. I need you to take care of Baal in chapter 6. He said, I want to be used to God. Some of you should go home and take care of a few altars of Baal tonight. So you, you ought to go home and uh, take that altar of Baal you call the television and throw it down. Yeah, take a sledgehammer to it. Your wife says, what are you doing? Throwing down the altar of Baal. Why? God told me to do it. Some of you ought to go home and pour out some alcohol. Some of you ought to go home and get rid of some DVDs, get rid of some CDs, get rid of some magazines, get rid of some altars you've made to Baal in your home. See, God can't use you with sin in your life. And God says, Gideon, I want to use you, Gideon. Gideon, I got plans for you, Gideon. Gideon, you, 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 you can't wait till you get to chapter 7, Gideon. God's going to use you. But I need you to get rid of Baal. I need you to throw down the altar. I wonder if Gideon would have said, No, God. I can't do that. I wonder if God would have said, okay, Gideon, well, listen, this is what we're going to do. Go get some guys and we're going to go fight Midian. You think God would have done that? God said to Gideon, throw down the altar of Baal. If Gideon would have said to God, no, I can't do that, I promise you God would have said, okay, this story's done, let's move on to Samson. I wonder how many Gideons never get past chapter 6. I wonder how many people God has a plan to use them in a great and wonderful way, like in chapter 7. But in chapter 6, He says, get rid of the altar and you're just not willing to. You're just not ready to. You're just not able to. You say, well, God, I can't do that. I can't do that. Sometimes you've got to get rid of the altar of Baal before God can use you. Sometimes you've got to get rid of the sin in your own house before God can use you. God said, throw down the altar. Now notice what happens. When you start throwing down the altar, some of you wish I was preaching my finances again. Look at verse 26. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock. In the order place, and take the second bullock, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Now notice what happens. Well, this is interesting, verse 27. Then Gideon took ten, ten men. That was a big mistake. If you're going to do something like this, you've got to do it by yourself. You know what I mean? Can't have any witnesses. And Gideon took ten, ten men of his servants. But he took ten men because he was scared. And Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household, that the men of the city, that he could... Notice, he feared his father's household, and 
he feared the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. So he's he's has a lot of fear. He doesn't want to do it by himself, but he goes to do it. Verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was by it. And they said one to another, notice what they said one to another, who have done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Who, who, uh, who was the tattletale? Probably one of those ten guys, you know what I mean? Verse 30. Then the men of the city. Right, let me just warn you. You start going around throwing the altars of Baal. You, start, you said, I'm going to get rid of the altars of Baal in my life. I'm going to start preaching against the altars of Baal. I'm going to start throwing down some altars of Baal. That's good. That's fine. Praise the Lord. I want you to do that. We need more preaching like that. But let me just give you a warning. You start throwing down some altars, some people are going to start getting upset. Look verse 30. Then the men of the city said unto Joash... Bring out thy son that he may die. They want to kill him because of what he's preaching. That reminds me of Jesus Christ. You understand? Jesus Christ was not this Joel Osteen positive sermons all the time. The reason they wanted to kill him is because of what he was preaching. The reason they wanted to kill him is because Jesus was going around throwing down some altars. Jesus was going around throwing down some altars of Baal in the eyes of the Pharisees, in the eyes of the Sadducees, in the eyes of those people. And they said, let's kill him. Just like they said to Gideon. Verse 30, Then the man of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die. Because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. you got to understand this. You start getting rid of sin in your life, some people are going to get mad. Some people are going to... It always... It, it, I always chuckle. I, I always... I never fail to make me laugh. How dumb our world is. They don't mind it when you're, when you're on drugs. It's when you get out of the drugs, when you cast down that altar bail, then they get mad. You're not as fun as you used to be. I used to be a drug addict. Are you serious? They don't mind you when you're an alcoholic. It's when you, when you start throwing down that altar. When you go home and say, I'm going to get rid of this altar bail, and you pour out all that alcohol into the sink or into the toilet and say, never again. Then that's when they get mad and say, you're not like you used to be. I'm just telling you, you start throwing down some altars, people are going to get upset. I think it's funny how many people are mad at me for not having a TV. I'm like, I didn't throw down your TV. You throw down some altars, people don't like it. You start preaching against the queers, people don't like it. You start preaching against abortion, people don't like it. And they start to Gideon, to Gideon's dad, Bring out your son. We're going to kill him. Now I want you to notice something. When you throw down altars, some people are going to get mad. You just got to understand that. But when you throw down altars, some people are going to get right. Look at verse 30. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And Joash, now Joash is Gideon's dad. Joash was the one that made the altar to Baal. But when Gideon threw the altar down, and when Joab saw, wow, my God that I worshipped is now broken on the floor because my son threw him on the ground. His eyes were open. Look at what Joab says, verse 31. And Joab said, Until all that stood against him, will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it is yet morning. Notice what he says. If he be a God, let him plead for himself. 
Because one has cast down his altar. You know what Gideon did? When Gideon started throwing down those altars of Baal, there were some people that said, we don't want anything to do with this, we're going to put him to death. But when Gideon started throwing down some altars of Baal, his own dad realized the sin in his life. And now his dad saying, wait a minute, why are you going to kill my son for throwing down the altar of Baal? If if Baal is an actual god, why doesn't he take care of it himself? If if Baal is an actual god, why why doesn't he pick himself up and fight like a man? His eyes were open. See, you say, I don't know about this type of preaching. You get in there and you start screaming and yelling about this and that. You start throwing offers all over the place. Yeah, every once in a while someone gets mad. But every once in a while someone gets right. Every once in a while someone gets saved. You say, hey, you preach against Catholicism and you talk about that. You, you call Mary the, the, the Queen of Heaven. Yeah, but every once in a while some Catholic, he bows his head and he, and he trusts on Jesus Christ. He said, I'm not trusting in my work. I'm not trusting my religion. I'm not trusting in the He said, people get mad. Yeah, but sometimes people get right. And forgetting it was his own dad. Let me read too. Therefore on that day he called him Jerubel. They changed his name to Jerubel. You say, what is the word Jerubel? Jerubel means the, the guy that Baal has a contention with. Allah translated for the Northgate lingo. The guy that Baal has beef with. That's a good name. I like that. You say to someone, I go to very Baptist church. They say, you go to that, you, you go to that Jeru Sodomite church? That's it. The, the, those guys that have a contention with the Sodomites? You go to that Jeru Sin church? The guys that have a contention with sin? Yeah, that's us. Who are you? Jeru Baal? The guy that, Jeru, that Baal has a contention with? We're going to go meet at the flagpole after school and we're going to fight. Me and Baal. But he never showed up. That's a pretty good name. I like that. Verse 32. Therefore on that day he called him Jerubal, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he had thrown down his altar. God says to Gideon, I'm going to prove you, Gideon. I want to use you in a mighty way, but I've got to make sure that you're willing to do what I tell you to do. Now when I ask you to pour the broth on the ground, you pass that test, but I'm going to ask you to, do, to pour, put something else on the ground that's going to be a little tougher. And Gideon passed that test, and God says, okay, Gideon, I can use you. But now notice, Gideon has a test for God. And we've got to do this quickly. We're almost done. Look at verse 33. And then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. So all the enemies get together. Look at verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. I love that. The Spirit of God, the power of God was resting on Gideon. And let me tell you something, God is no respecter of persons. That same spirit, that power of God can lay upon you, and it can lay upon me. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him, and he sent messengers through all Manasseh, who also gathered after him. He sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. So Gideon gets his army together. Are you following what I'm saying? Verse verse 35. He gets his army together. He gets all his men together. Verse 36. And Gideon said unto God. Notice, Gideon's going to prove God one last time. And Gideon said unto God. Notice what he says. If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand. Do you see that? That's the first time we see Gideon referring to himself. He says, if 
Thou shalt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. Behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. Now this is an interesting story, okay? God, Gideon says, I want to know that you're going to do this, God. He says, I want to know that you're going to do it with me. He said, if, if thou will save Israel by mine hand. God, Gideon says to God, I'm going to put a fleece out. I'm going to leave it there overnight. And he said, I want you to drop down the dew. But I want the dew to only fall on the fleece. He said, if the fleece is wet with dew, and the ground around it is dry, then that will prove to me, God, that you're going to allow me to save Israel, that you're going to use me, that you're going to do it by mine hand. Now you've got to understand something, okay? Uh, let's try to do this as quickly as we can so that we can get to the cake and ice cream, okay? Go to Genesis chapter 27, just real quickly. What did Gideon ask God to, to bring down? He asked him to bring dew on the fleece, right? Genesis chapter 27. Look at verse number 28. I want you to see something. I could show you a hundred verses, but I don't have time to. I'm just going to show you a few. Just enough to make the point. Genesis 27. Look at verse 28. Genesis 27, verse 28. Here we find Isaac blessing Jacob. Remember that? Now, now he thinks it's Esau because Jacob is deceiving him. But he's giving him a blessing. Notice what he says. In Genesis 27, 28. Therefore... God give thee, notice what he says, of the, what's that next word? Do, do you see that? Therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven, and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. I want you to notice this. When Isaac gave a blessing to his sons, he said, the first thing he said, I want God to give you the dew of heaven. Go to Deuteronomy, real quickly. I can show you a lot of the verses. I don't have time to. You can study it out on your own. But let me just show you a few. Deuteronomy 32, verse number 2. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse number 2. Deuteronomy 32, verse 2. The Bible says, notice this. My doctrine, Deuteronomy 32, verse 2. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew. Do you see that? As a small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Look at verse 13, same chapter. Deuteronomy 32, verse 13. He made him ride on the high places of the earth, that he might eat the increase of the fields, and he made him to suck honey out of the rock, and oil out of the flinty rock. That's not the verse I want. Good night. Where, did, where am I reading? Deuteronomy 32, Verse 13, I must have wrote down the wrong one. Look at verse number 28. Maybe that's the right one. For they are a nation void of counsel, neither is there... No, that's not the one I want either. Good night. Deuteronomy 32, verse 13. I must have wrote down the wrong passage. I apologize for that, but what I wanted to show you... You're going to have to study this one out on your own. 33.13, is that what I wanted? Okay, thank you. 33.13. There we go. 33.13. And, and of Joseph, he said, Blessed are the Lord. I want you, I want, this is what I want you to see. And of Joseph, he said, Blessed. Do you see the word blessed there? Okay, notice the connection. Blessed are the Lord, 
be his land. For the precious thing of heaven, for the dew, do you see that? For the dew and for the deep that coucheth beneath. Okay? So Isaac gave a blessing to his son, and he said, God give you of the dew of heaven. Here, God is blessing Joseph, and he mentions this word dew. Look at verse 28, same chapter. Verse 28, hopefully that's the right one. Verse 28, Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine. Also, his heavens shall drop down dew. You see that? I could show you a hundred other verses. I don't have time to go back to Judges. But I want you to know this is. And you can study it out on your own if you want. The word do in the Bible always represents the blessing of God. People beat up on Gideon. Gideon had no faith. He asked God to put do on a fleece. I think Gideon might have had a little more faith than you and I give him credit for. What is Gideon doing? Judges chapter 6, look at verse 36. And Gideon said unto God, if thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. Here's what Gideon was saying. Gideon was saying, God, I'm going to put this fleece out. And if you can cast dew on it, and I'll know that your blessing is on my life. And if your blessing is on my life, God, then I know that you will deliver the people using my hand. That's a pretty amazing thing. Now notice what God does, verse 37. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 38. And it was so. Notice, God. we don't hear God chastising Gideon. Gideon asked for something, God says, Okay, sure, you threw it on the, the altar. The least I can do is put some dew on a, a fleece. Verse 38, And it was so, for he rose up early on the morrow, and thrust the fleece together, and wringed the dew out of the fleece. Look what it says. A bowl full of water. Did you see that? Gideon says, Can you put some dew on this fleece? And God says, I'm going to put so much water in that fleece, you're going to pick that thing up, you're going to wring it, you're going to fill an entire bowl. God said, I'm going to make sure you understand, Gideon, that my power, my spirit, my blessing is upon you. And by the way, there is nothing wrong with asking God, can you show me your power upon my life? That's a good thing. God says, my blessing is on you. My blessing is so much on you, you're going to get a bowl full of water, Gideon. Now notice what Gideon says next, verse 39. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Gideon says, Can I just ask one more? Can I just get one more, God? He says, Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. And let it now, notice the difference, let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. Say, what is that about? Now, you got to understand this, okay? Remember, he said, put dew on the fleece and leave the ground dry. And what will that prove? That you're going to rescue Israel by my hand. He says, if you put dew on the fleece, it will prove to me that your blessing and your power and your spirit is upon me. But remember, what did we learn about Gideon? Gideon is not only concerned with himself, he's always concerned with others. He already has an army gathered. His men are ready to go fight. So Gideon says, Okay God, I know that your blessing is upon me. But now he says, God, can you show me if your blessing is upon them? 
God, I'm concerned with them as much as I'm concerned with me. Look at verse 39. Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me. And I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee. But this once with the fleas. Let it now be dry only upon the fleas. He says, I'm not concerned with me anymore. I know you're with me, God. He said, don't worry about the fleas. And upon all the ground let there be dew. He said, he said I know your blessing is on me. But can I see the blessing on everyone else? And God chastises Gideon. Is that what he says? Well, look at verse 40. 40. And Gideon did so that night. For, oh, I'm sorry. And God did so that night. For it was dry upon the fleece only. And there was dew on all the ground. I want to show you one verse. We'll be done right here. Go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11. People beat up on Gideon. Gideon had a lack of faith. He's asking God to do this. He's asking God to do that. He's, he's, he can't make up his mind. Can you put the dew on the fleece? Can you not put the... You know, people beat up on Gideon. Gideon, he had no faith. He, 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 he was lacking in faith. He was like this. Look, you can say a lot about Gideon. He was scared. He was fearful. He was hiding. I don't think he was lacking in faith. I think Gideon knew exactly what he was asking for. Let me just prove it to you. Hebrews 11.32. We've been here before. Remember Hebrews 11 is that great. It's known as the hall of faith. It's where God expounds to us the faith of all these men. Notice what God says about Gideon. Gideon, uh, Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 32. The Bible says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and the prophets. God says, I don't have time to tell you about the amount of faith that Gideon has. Now here's what's interesting. you got four judges mentioned in that verse. Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. Gideon is mentioned first, but he's not chronologically the first of those judges. Do you understand what I'm saying? Barak was a judge before Gideon. Yet God puts Gideon first in the list. You know why? I believe Gideon was a great man of faith. He's asking God to prove himself, but God doesn't seem upset by that. There's nothing wrong with going to God and saying, God, can I see your power on my life? There's nothing wrong with going to God and saying, God, can I see your power on the life of my family, on the life of my brethren? On the... There's nothing wrong with you praying, God, would you pour out your power on me, and would you pour it on our church? There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, God looks down at that and says, Gideon, you're a great man of faith. They're proving each other. But notice, when do you get the do? After you throw down the altar. When do you get the power of God? After you get rid of the sin. And by our heaven, I have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. Lord, thank you for the book of Judges. And I understand that was a pretty lengthy chapter, 40 verses. A lot to go over. But Lord, I pray you'd help us as we read those passages and learn from them. That you'd help us to realize, Lord, that we can have the power of God just as much as anyone else. And sometimes God is going to ask us to prove ourselves. Sometimes there's an altar we've got to throw down. But if we're faithful to God, He'll be faithful to us. If we follow God's commandments, His power can rest upon us. Father, I pray you'd bless us. Lord, I pray we'd see the dew of your blessing upon not only myself, but these people. Help us to be like Gideon. Mighty men of valor, concerned with others. Father, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.